0: One of the stories um, that kind of propelled me into this journey of making films was that I had this family come in from Burma and they had, um, like a lot of families, they, the, the Burmese army had come in and burned their village to the ground and they really only had time to grab their kids and a bag of rice. And they went out into the jungle and they walked for three months across the jungle.
1: Everyone's fighting a battle that you can't see. I am James and welcome to Focus For You. In this podcast, I will give you tips to overcome the challenges that we all battle with. Hey guys, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have you guys. Uh, so excited for today's episode. So excited for this episode. Uh, I had a chance to sit down with somebody that became my friend uh, along this journey along this build of creating this show and reaching out and finding an outlet and being inspired, and once you start doing that, you start to surround yourself with other like-minded people, other creative minds, other creative entities that make you think about what you're doing in your craft to evolve it, to make it more of your own, or or to even uh, borrow some ideas from somebody that you respect and somebody that you believe in as well. And I had the great opportunity to sit down with Grace and listen to her story and tell me how she got to North Carolina. And once she got to North Carolina and what she's doing and what she's what her plans are and the direction that she wants to take her creative nature. Grace always is a person that has a smile on her face and it makes it easy for you to want to have a conversation and share your journey with her. Now, as you listen to Grace's journey, understand that she has something to say and something to share with us that is bigger than what we as Americans or what we as society really understand about what goes on in these other parts of the world. So strap in, Grace Beeler. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, I have the wonderful Grace uh, Beeler in the room with me and uh, I had a lucky opportunity for this person to step into my life Uh, she listened to my episode of fitting in and she applied those techniques onto me and now we're friends and now she's on my show as somebody that we're going to talk more about and get some more information about welcome thank you um so upon like our our first encounter um you shared something with me and it still sticks with me and uh can you share to them what 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 that first encounter was like for you when you when we first kind of met
0: like when when we were talking about the films and stuff because we went we met at the dog park but we no, didn't I'm really ta- talk I'm talking about at the dog
1: I'm talking <laughs> uh, about, about the about dog, the dog park. park yeah I'm talking about the dog park
0: okay I don't know we met at the dog park and I, I, don't, I don't go to the dog park that much but no, right I just saw someone who looked interesting you know someone's kind of different from most of the people at the dog park and um <clears throat> let just chatted a little bit but I kind of I don't know. It was something about something about the way you interacted with people, and I um, you know like I like your kind of positive spirit. I don't remember exactly what it was. No,
1: that's that's the that's the exact same memory that yeah. I have too. Is I we didn't have a a long winded conversation, but um, when we did reconnect later and you shared this story with me, I couldn't help but to think to myself either that uh, like. All right, she thought I was interesting I, I, every time I go to the dog park everybody there was interesting to me and for somebody to say that they thought I was interesting I was immediately interested in what you had to say so when we met the second time and we finally exchanged like emails and information and kind of um, started to go down this road this friendship road if you will um, I was I, I'll be honest with you I was thoroughly impressed with the things that you were doing i was really very like like man the first thing that popped in my head was how did she get all the way here how did she get to the point where she's um filming these documentaries and being in um in these in these other worldly countries and having people be receptive to your message or what you're trying to convey to the rest of the world and uh all, my mind just kept running after that and I couldn't I all I wanted to do was get you on the show um, it's been some months but here we are so uh, that's fantastic uh, one of the things I always I, I always ask I like to fill out people is I was just telling you about my very first job what was your very first job?
0: Uh, my first job was working at the snack bar at the hockey arena at St. Lawrence University because I grew up really close to Canada and upstate New York and hockey is the thing to watch so I grew up going to hockey games and uh, <coughs> so I didn't apply for a job that was open I just saw a place I wanted to work and I, that's where I went and asked him if I could have a job and um, I was thinking about that because you sent me the questions before I came and I know you're looking for a job now and that's kind of what I've done all my life and I think it might be kind of good advice for people who are looking for a job is just figure out where you want to work. And then ask them, so, and even if they won't, if they don't have a job, like volunteer for a while, and you know, like just show up. Just show up. Just show up. So that's what I did. I went to the snack bar, and I said, "Can I work here?" And luckily, they they said yes. Um, uh, my favorite part of that was well, there were a bunch of good things. I really liked those nachos. Remember the <laughs> nacho machine where you squirt the nacho and stuff? Yeah, because I grew up she's... on health food and we. <laughs> I've <laughs> never had any of that stuff. But uh, then I also got to see the hockey games. I got to see everyone who was at the hockey games. You know, it was just like the place to be. So that was fun.
1: <laughs> so tell me how you get from working at a hockey ring, serving nachos, to being a film producer for documentaries. Like, what? where was the, 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 the points in your career... That changed all that. I granted, I mean, my first job was um, working at a pet supply store. And now, um, you know, I'm a graphic designer and a podcaster. So I, I know our journeys are different. But there's always something along that journey that kind of changed that. What was that for you?
0: Yeah, well... I think that's something we have in common is we both really love people, you know, so that's why I liked that hockey game job, because I got to see everybody, Uh and that's the same thing, you know, like, that's that's right where I am now, like, you and I both collect stories, that's part of documenting. Yeah, Um, yeah, we do. So, um, I grew up, my grandparents um, were Holocaust survivors, and my mom was born in a refugee camp, so I'm from an immigrant family, um, and... Uh, my mom came to this country when she was five and I was real close to my grandparents they lived nearby um, so I've always been really I, I guess I felt like I had to give back to the immigrant community you know because my grandparents kind of got a second chance at life um, so I, most of my adult life after the hockey games I worked with immigrants on one level or another um, so my first Well, maybe my first real job when I got out of college, uh, I moved to New York City and I worked kind of coordinating in English as a second language program that had a bunch of volunteers all over Manhattan I had to run around to different churches and corporate offices and make sure everybody was paired up with their volunteer tutor. Um, And then I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area. And I worked for an immigration attorney. At, at that point, I thought that I wanted to be an immigration attorney. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna work for one. So I I showed up again. I went to that office. I found the office of the guy who worked just for farm workers, and I said, I want to work here, and you can pay me ten bucks an hour. Just teach me what you've got to do, you know? So, so he said sure, and I worked there. Um, the problem with that. I mean, it was really great. It was really great. He um, he's an amazing guy. He only worked for farm workers. He did deportation defense pretty much. Most immigration attorneys will like supplement their income by doing some visas for wealthier people who I are mean, coming, like academics or you know, jo- uh, for jobs and stuff. But he only wanted to work for farm workers, so he had this huge caseload. Right. And. Um, he had this new idea. This was ninety eight, ninety nine. He had this brand new idea that all of his files were going to go in the computer. Like there was no internet yet. <laughs> <laughs> so he had me on the phone, talking to people and putting stuff into the computer, which was awesome. Except there was no headset. Yeah. So I was, you know, with my neck cricked yeah, and I hurt were... myself really bad. Like You're holding
1: the phone. With I was shoulder. holding the
0: phone with my shoulder. And I ended up with a really bad carpal tunnel so that I didn't feel like I could go to grad school, go to law school. I couldn't do anything. And you know, like you're really young and uh, I didn't even know, like I just broke my arm now and workers comp is taking care of, I didn't know about workers comp. I you know, it was like, I just didn't do anything about it. (laughs) So uh, after that, I, I mean, pretty much I felt like one of the only things I could do was teach because I didn't have to be on a computer. Because there were about ten or fifteen years that it was really painful for me to be on a computer. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So wow. I went back to teaching English. I had taught English. I lived in Venezuela for about a year. Um, <clears throat> one of my my best friend in the world is uh, she was an exchange student from Venezuela in my high school when we were seniors, That's and awesome. I went back and lived with her. So. I had taught English in Venezuela, and then I had that job in New York where I was coordinating. So I went back um, when we, after we were in California, we moved to Connecticut, and while I was in Connecticut, I started um, tutoring ESL at Capital Community College downtown Hartford because um, my next door neighbor did it, and she invited me in. And then I, the the director of the program said, "Oh, well, if you know, if you get certified, you could teach." So I went and did a summer program um, in Boston. And it was just four weeks. And then I was certified. I taught one class. And then we 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 were only in Connecticut for two years. We ended up moving. Then when we moved to Ithaca, I um, got this great job, which is really similar to the job that I have now at Durham Tech, which was teaching adults. And I had mostly refugees in my class. So I love people. I love hearing people's stories. And I found that teaching English, most of what my job was to, was to make people talk, right? I had to come up with the right questions to make them talk, and and most people want to talk about themselves,
1: right? So I think we all do. We all do, right? Yeah, all so do. then
0: I had to come up with the right questions to make them talk about themselves. And I had real low level. I had people who were coming in from refugee camps, like from Burma, and they'd been in refugee camps in Thailand for ten years or twenty years, but. Um, they, some of them didn't speak very much English at all, but I wanted to know their stories, so I figured out ways to like, have them draw out the stories, and then we would put the English in together or something. You know. So I was getting all these really fresh refugee stories, right. um, and, and they're super powerful. You know. It, it, it's amazing. I, it, the stories that I hear all the time are really crazy. <laughs> so one of the stories um, that kind of propelled me into this journey of making films was that I had this family come in from Burma, and they had, um, like a lot of families, they, the, the Burmese army had come in and burned their village to the ground, and they really only had time to grab their kids and a bag of rice. And they went out into the jungle, and they walked for three months. Across the jungle. Hold on. Yeah.
1: Hold, wait. <laughs>
0: right, and they're drawing out this story for me. They can't tell me this story. They're drawing it out. They walk And their like friends three. who are can speak a little more English are telling them. So they're walking for three months, and they have to sleep in the jungle. There are these wild elephants that will, like, grab a tree trunk and try to hit them, and... And also, that, like, at some point, they found this other family that had a cow, and that was amazing because they could drive the cow in front of them, and the cow would step on the landmines instead of them.
1: Oh, my heart.
0: Right? Oh my. <laughs> so they walked for three months, and they finally got across the border into Thailand, and there are some refugee camps that are set up on the edge of the border on, on the Thai side. But those refugee camps are not, like, these nice, clean, beautiful things. They're kind of just, like, quit. But basically what my students told me is when they got there, they got six pieces of bamboo and a piece of plastic and that they could make their house. And then the UN provided rice, salt, and it was salt, rice, and oil that they got um, to live. But one of their kids, after that whole journey, one of their kids died from drinking contaminated water. There was like a stream or a little river that went through the refugee camp and it was contaminated with human waste. Right. And the kid died. And it's like after that whole journey of carrying your kid across three months of, you know, all of that. So that's, I, I mean, I hear crazy stories all the time, James. I mean, I can't even tell you. You went to my class. You know I, what it's like. I right? have, My and, students and shared some stories with you.
1: And they're very powerful <laughs> yeah. and very inspirational. and Right. And, and, uh, they they have done so many things that most of the people that are listening right now can never even imagine. Yeah, never even fathom. So right. uh, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. even this this story that you're telling me about these this Taiwan family that is. Now in the refugee camp, it's just above and beyond.
0: Right. So that's a story that would kind of wake me up in the middle of the night. You know, it's like, that's not fair, you know. It's like all this stuff. And there's so many stories that I can't do anything about. But I kind of felt like maybe there was something I could do about water, you know. So while I was in Ithaca, I also started doing um, chiropractor and acupuncture. And I managed to fix my carpal tunnel enough that I felt like I could go back to school. Wow. So, yeah, I know it was really good because I was in pain for so long, and now I'm actually fine. I could be on the computer as much as I want.
1: That's good to hear. Yeah.
0: So when I moved here to North Carolina, um, I started in a master's program at NC State in international studies, and it was focused on water and sanitation because I really kind of wanted to do something about that. Um, I had a baby 10 days after I got here. Oh. <laughs> so I was in school part-time at night. Um, and it was actually really great because it gave me longer time to do my research. You know, I could kind of stretch it out. It was almost like doing a PhD program instead of a master's because I did it over four years. Okay. You know, um, and one of the first classes that I took, you could, if you're enrolled in one of the schools here, you can take classes at any of the other schools. They have an agreement. So I was at UNC in a class on uh, water and sanitation policy in lesser developed countries and uh and I got in this working group on participatory sanitation and um and I started researching stuff and I was like I bet that Brazil has figured this out
1: you you just took a a shot you know because I'm
0: married to a Brazilian and I've been going to Brazil for like the last 20 years and I've watched Brazil over the last 20 years improve dramatically it's amazing how much less poverty there is. How, you know, like, you don't see people living under bridges like you used to. Everybody pretty much has a car. You know, it's, like, kind of gotten up. Sometimes I think when I go to Brazil, things are actually better than they are here right now. Wow. You know, um, but that's that's been a lot of improvement really quickly. Yeah. So I started researching, and I found this thing called condominial sewage that they've invented in Brazil, lo and behold, they have figured out a way to serve urban slums with sanitation service, pipe sanitation service, and that's something the rest of the world doesn't know how to do. Basically, a conventional sewer system can't go into a slum, so they just ignore it. And then everyone wants running water, so they'll go connect a hose to the city main line and get water going into their house and get a nice toilet that flushes right out into the street.
1: Right into the street. Yeah. Not even... Well, I mean, sometimes there'll
0: be, like, little canal. They'll dig a little ditch or something, right? And then if it rains, it floods all over the place, and the kids and the animals all play in there. Right?
1: (laughs) That's a a sight that everybody can see.
0: So, yeah. So, actually, about 2.4 billion people in this world don't have adequate sanitation. It's a huge huge problem. I mean I can't you, even, I don't even know how many people a billion is. I can't even imagine that. That
1: is that is roughly right? so it, the the, <laughs> the, rep, the pop, pop I looked it up yesterday uh, earlier this week the population in the, on this planet is 7.5 right. billion people. So you're so, saying 2.5 so roughly a third Yeah. of people right. on this con, on this on this planet don't I, have proper Right.
0: Exactly. So I did this research there's, not a, there's some stuff on it in English, but not a lot. There's, there's stuff in English that tells like how to physically build the system, but you have to use community participation, and there was really nothing in English that described how that worked in Brazil. So I thought, well, let me go to Brazil and ask them. Actually, in that participatory sanitary, sanitation class, there was um, a woman who was from Jakarta, Indonesia, and she was doing her master's degree at UNC. Um, in the environmental engineering department and she said well this looks like it would work in jakarta but i don't know enough to be able to bring this to my boss and tell him and i said okay well let me go to brazil and ask them
1: so, so that on, was how on.
0: my film started
1: hold, hold on. <laughs> all right so hold on so hold on so you you really took all of this kind of on a whim yeah it wasn't even something that you were just like oh i have a bit of contacts in Brazil and right, I speak I have a, Portuguese. And I and I have a a, a an interest in this and you like I'm gonna go out and do this.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I applaud that. I, I said this to you before but I do applaud that because there's a lot of people that are are stuck and more yeah. are not willing to take that kind of chance because you you really are taking a chance because you don't know
0: right you don't I, know
1: what the yes or if it's going to be yes or no. I didn't
0: have any contacts or any or anybody working in this or anything. Um, there was one, um, like twenty minute video of one engineer who works in Brasilia, but the interview was in Portuguese online somewhere. So uh, there was just this one website. It's called Waterlat. It's kind of a, a um. A group within Latin America that's working on sanitation. They'd done that interview and put it up. So I contacted the person who was who ran that website, and he actually got me in touch with a bunch of people in Brazil, a bunch of engineers. And then I needed money. You know, you we, need money to make films. We, so. we all need money to make
1: things work. <laughs> so I right? got a
0: couple. Um, I got a couple scholarships. I was still in school. So I did it as an independent project. At first, I asked if I could do it as my capstone research. I'm like, no, nah, you got to write your paper. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good that I wrote my paper, though, because I did all the research, and I like read everything that had been written by the people that I was going to interview. And I knew all the questions that I needed to ask and stuff. So it was really good that they made me write the paper. So the film, I mean, that was a way more than four credits. Yeah, <laughs> oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm still working on it four years later. But, um, yeah, so I thought my idea was let me go down and ask these engineers and I'll bring a camera and I'll give it to my professor and he can use it for the class, you know? Right. Because we watched all these little videos and different projects around the world. So he can just add it. So I got um, a $4,000 grant from the – oh, shoot, I'm forgetting what they –
1: it's a, it's all right. Okay. It's all right. I
0: got one scholarship that was the Paula Clothman scholarship and then the other one I'm not remembering and that's really terrible because they gave me money. But um, I had about 5000 bucks to go down and film. Um, so I had to pay for my ticket, which is 1000 already. And you know making films is really expensive. Like I could never have done this here on that budget. But... Um, the dollar was four to one, and one of the wow. cities that I was going to, Salvador, is kind of a poor city, and a lot of, there are a lot of really talented people who are looking for work. So right. I was able to hire a team of professional filmmakers to work for me, and that was just chance too. I mean, I was like looking around, I was thinking of bringing my son, because he has a YouTube channel and a camera, but the plane ticket was expensive. I got in touch with someone here in Hillsborough, who, there's another Brazilian here, and he's married to her, he speaks Portuguese, he's American though. And uh, so he makes films, and I thought maybe I'd do that, but then I thought I'm playing for two pain, plane tickets, like that's a big chunk of my budget, so let me find someone there. So I just happened on this place called Cinearts that does kind of cool, interesting documentaries, and they have a little school where they teach people how to do documentaries, they teach youth and stuff, and so I emailed the guy, and he was into it, so... Um, I actually ended up paying him in camera equipment because, but <laughs> you know, like stuff is so expensive down there. Uh-huh. So he chose all the, I was like, you can spend this much and he chose all these stuff that he wanted and I arrived with my suitcase full. So I was arriving with this suitcase full of stuff that I was going to hand over to this guy and I had no idea if he was going to show up the next day and film for me or not, you know? Wow. So was just, I had to just go on faith, but he did. He came back, he brought his buddy and they filmed actually a really beautiful film. Yes. And I was just thinking I was going to do these interviews and they're like, "No, no, no, we got to get the water." You know, they're professional filmmakers. Yes. They know what they're doing. So right. so they're like filming this beautiful thing. And uh and like 3 days in, one of them said, "This would make a really good real film."
1: I'm like <laughs> a really good real film? Yeah, like-, like
0: not just for your class, you know, like this would be cool. We could put this on TV kind of thing. Right. You know? And I'm like, cool so yeah you need you know about another $10,000 and we could clean it up and I'm like okay I'll find it I'll do it so I came home I had about 60 to 70 hours of raw footage yeah and I filmed in the end of January beginning of February and I had to turn in the film for the end of the semester in May I had never edited anything before
1: so you're feeling all of this out by yourself <laughs> For the yeah. first time.
0: Yeah, he was like, just get Premiere Pro and then you can send it to me and see what else to tell you, I think. So I got Premiere Pro and I mean, it was trial by fire. I just, <laughs> I, by the end of that semester, I actually ended up taking it in incomplete and turning it in at the end of the summer because I was dying. I made an hour and a half long film and it has everything that you need to know about the sewer system. Yeah. And um, And it looks great and everything, but it was my first time editing. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Um, And so I gave it to my professor and he put it on his MOOC so it's being used around the world and whatever. But then I was like, I I had this thing. I was like, I need to make it this, the real, you know, like I need a real professional editor to work on it. Uh So my neighbor, Peter, who I want you to interview, um, offered to host a music festival for me. To raise money. So we did that last summer, last spring, uh, Flush Fest. Mm. He, he created, we had a, we made a toilet pinata. We had,
1: <laughs> we had three
0: stages, his front porch. He's a piano tuner, so he's got his back, his shop, and then he has grand piano in, inside his house. Yeah. And we showed some films from some other local filmmakers. And he does, he writes music for silent films, so he does a, a silent film at the end of the festival outside. Um And... And we raised 3000 bucks doing that. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that was really great. And then um, I was kind of showing the film that I had made around at different universities and a few conferences and uh-huh. stuff. And I started to think, well, this is great to have a film, you know. Like, I can send it to my friend in Jakarta, and she can show it to her boss. But it's not really enough if they want to put the sewer system in in Jakarta. Right. You know, like... Her boss gonna say that's awesome, but I, I don't know how to do, that. you know, like yeah. I don't physically know how to do all of this. What we really need is for them, like the people from Jakarta, to come to Brazil, spend a few weeks seeing it, like do a hands-on class, right. send some Brazilian engineers over there to help out. You know translate all of that stuff translate all the stuff that exists in Portuguese and put it online so all the engineering and the, so that people yeah, can the infrastructure. actually go so I started thinking hey, we need an institute you know so last March like a year ago March um, I made a four minute version of the film and submitted it to the World Water Forum which was being held in Brasilia um, that year and it got in. And I was like, I'm not going to go to Brasilia to show a four-minute film. Right, you know, That's right. a lot of money that's, and yes. time and thank you and, you know, show the film. But that, it was just about that time that I started talking to a bunch of the engineers that I interviewed about the idea of the Institute. And they were into it. They were like, yeah, we, we've been working in this for 30, 40 years and we want to pass down the knowledge. Right. It's not being taught in any universities. Everybody thinks it's this thing just for poor people. But, like, you know, we want... We are helping a lot of people, and we want more people to be able to know about it. So they were excited, and they said, "You actually should come to Brasilia because there's a guy from the Inter American Development Bank and someone from the World Bank that are interested in funding this. So you should come and meet them." So. Oh my
1: heart. So you had to go.
0: Yeah, so I had to go. So they were like, "Yeah, you should probably like rent a nice house on Airbnb so you can hold the meetings there." And so. <laughs> Luckily, the dollar was still really high. I mean, I can't afford... I don't go on vacation here. Yeah. But I just, you know, I used my own money. I rented this really cool... It was like an art gallery that they rent out as an Airbnb. It had a nice meeting room. And so this guy, Sergio, came from the Inter-American Development Bank, and he really liked the idea. So he promised me the rest of the money to finish editing the film. He was like, yeah, you can...
1: That's That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. And he was also
0: really excited about the Institute idea. Uh Uh-huh. So um, the money, like, came in to do the film, and I just got it back a few weeks ago. So um, I'm super excited about it. So there's a 30-minute version, but the guys are also um, in the final process of creating a 52-minute version that will go on Brazilian TV. So that's gonna go on like 200 Brazilian TV stations, and then who knows where else after Oh, that's
1: that's amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know.
0: I'm so so excited about it.
1: And you should be. Yeah. This, this is amazing. Because if if we we pause for a second <laughs> and think about where this journey kind of started. Yeah. It was off a whim. It was off of. Right. Oh, I I can do this. I right. Think. And now it's turned into something that you may be changing people's lives for the rest of their lives. You may be putting in an infrastructure or helping putting in an infrastructure and motivating people where now that two point five billion people.
0: Yeah. It's and it's gonna that know, number's coming down. It's like when you have sewage in the street, people get sick all the time. People die. Kids die a lot. Absolutely. You know, and, and if you're sick all the time you can't go to work. So you stay poor. You know, if you can change that, nobody wants to work on a sewer system, but if you can change that and not be sick all the time and not paying for your kids' funerals instead of paying for their school, you're going to change everything about your life. You know, you're going to help people get out of poverty. So, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And and the Institute is coming along. It's coming along. I'm, you know, um, I just... Filed my articles of incorporation last week
1: that's for great. a nonprofit.
0: That's fantastic. And, uh, and um, working on on all of that, and uh, the guy from the Inter American Development Bank wants me to do another film. He wants me to like rework the film and re-edit it. And for some reason, he wants me to go to Haiti. He's got a project in Haiti. Uh, <laughs> I'm that's... like, okay, cool. I'll go to Haiti. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like, he lives in Haiti, and the internet was really bad. He was like, you'll have to come to Haiti and do an evaluation. I'm like, okay. What for? And then the internet went out. Oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do there. Oh, but
1: man. <laughs> so, so all right, alright We're, we're going to come back to all of this. And this <laughs> this has been great thus far. So, um, I, I wanted to figure out what was probably the hardest part about putting all that together for you.
0: Um,
1: the biggest obstacle, the biggest challenge. Well, I
0: mean, money's always an obstacle, Well, yeah, right? I you mean, know? I
1: guess I should say um, besides money.
0: Besides money, right? Uh. Let's see. What's the biggest obstacle? I mean, man, learning to edit—that was—that yeah. was brutal. Yeah.
1: During, I, the, film pro- during the film during the film process, once you got it home, I felt,
0: yeah. I mean, I like I said, my son has a YouTube channel, so I would call him over, like, help. He's like, mom, just do this. You know? But at the end of that semester, I was, I, I stopped cleaning my house. You know, I just like stopped doing everything else. And then I went to my mom's during the summer and just dumped my kids on her. And I just sat there. I went to the library. I'd go to the library every day and just, like, you don't have no idea how much work it is to edit a film.
1: So, so you when you were there uh, with your mom, um, what is something that you had to do every day for that to be essential? What was something that, you know, besides just doing the editing, but, like, with your, um, with your doc outside of the editing... Um, emails phone calls follow-ups yeah, all you know, that so stuff. I'm
0: learning all of this just from the ground up I have never made a film before and I have no idea what the process is so every time I get to like a new thing I'm like holy crap oh you have to do that right yeah. so you finish you, the film you, you sound like me every time
1: with, with my show every time I reach a new milestone right. I'm like oh you, you you're supposed to do that oh right. that was easy why didn't yeah. I think and, right. and now you're at a new point right
0: right so, I mean, you think that when you finish the film, you're done. Yeah. But you're not. No, like, that's just the beginning. Yeah. Because you can work your butt off and you can make a film, but you need that film to be seen by the right people. Yes. You know? So that's where I'm at right now, learning, like, okay, the marketing and the, you know, like, the imp- there's some there's someone thing called an impact editor, which I can't afford to hire, but I have a friend who is one... Um, and that's the person that just like sends it out to all the right places, gets it into the right film festivals, brings it to all these other places and people and connects it and all that. And so I, I'm just learning all of that as I'm going right now. And the thing is that film festivals only want to accept films that are made in the last couple of years. So since this one just came out, I've got to start.
1: Yeah, you got to start submitting right it to now, film okay? festivals. And
0: I, it's like 35 bucks for every film festival. You know and
1: you don't know if you're gonna get in or not, and, and yeah, that stuff starts, to, it
0: starts right. to add up, yeah,
1: it does, it does, but you know, um, it's gonna happen. So, so you, I, I, when listening, you mentioned something about your budget and not having enough. Um, what were some of the biggest obstacles with the budget for you? I, you, you did already mention making a barter with, um, film equipment Mm -hmm. Uh, was there anything else that you had to do on that on that kind of like as far as uh balancing that budget to make it everything come together
0: during the actual filming everything went amazingly well i mean it was so smooth i didn't expect it to be that way at all i i expected all kinds of problems i expected people not to show up and everyone showed up exactly where they were when they're supposed to be and they did a beautiful beautiful job. So that hasn't really been an issue. And then since the Inter American Development Bank offered to give me the rest of the money to finish that, you know, like the budgeting has been okay. It is now I'm in this space where okay, I need a little more money to, to promote it. But since I have a product, if I have time to sit down, it's just the time. I guess that's the hard thing, is the time to write the grants, you yeah. know, it's, grant writing is so much work and it's such a pain in the butt and then you don't know if you're going to get it or not and, you know, so I wish that I had like an assistant, an extra person, oh, don't. You know, I, I, I'm so, I know I'm the like juggling all feeling. these different things that I'm doing with all this time and... So, I absolutely yeah.
1: know the feeling. Yeah. If you just had another person that yeah. could, that you could like, hey, can you do right. this, 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 yes. and this for me?
0: Yes, because I, I have yeah. yeah, I have totally enough work for another person. I, I agree. <laughs> I
1: totally have enough work for another person as well. Yeah. Uh, and you know, during this process of the checks and balances, um, the process of you, you know, trying to figure out like what the next step is. We, we constantly find ourselves kind of questioning is this what we should be doing? Is this, um, am I on the right track? Am I on the right path? Did you ever? No. Never? No, no, no. Never questioned it? No. Nope. You just did? <laughs> that <laughs> That's is,
0: funny. To, I, I don't question though, James. I'm not that kind of person. I just decide what I'm going to do and then I do it. <laughs> that,
1: that is so brave.
0: Yeah.
1: That is so brave. Because a lot of people don't always have that that feel that don't always recognize that well this looks cool I'm just turning around and do it and not think about the consequences of it failing or not working
0: I mean I don't know if you do it for a student project the only thing that could go wrong is that you like don't finish it and you fail your class right yeah you don't get a good
1: grade or something whatever
0: it's not like a big it's not a big thing and it was an independent project so they probably would have let me just take a different class you know Yeah. so it didn't work out so, but yeah, no, from the, I, I don't get that feeling of am I on the right path or whatever. Because the thing is that I, at work, I work with people who've escaped horrible situations all the time. People who, who, you know, like have lost everything and are starting again from zero in another country in another language. So anything that I can feel that might be bad about my life, I just need to look at my students and and i realized that i have so much like yeah. <laughs> you know it's ridiculous how much i have
1: so yeah we are very um, blessed and privileged and, and we don't kind of look yeah. at it that right. way right so with you talking about your students um, i had a I, I I have sent you a question and one of the, the question was um, if if i could make any documentary what would it be
0: hmm so yeah but, <coughs> so um I have an idea for a documentary that I really want to do, and, and I'm kind of doing it. This next project that I'm doing is, is, a, is a little bit that way, um, but the, the one that I really want to do is I want to follow a refugee family, maybe even from the refugee camp, but definitely from day one when they arrive in the country for about five years, because five years is how long it takes to really kind of feel like your feet are on the ground. You know, I've watched people come in from the first day, and then after about five years, they have their house, they have their job, they have a way to get around, they have their life settled. And I want people to know how hard it is. Okay, 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 I, I
1: completely know. would co-sign that one, because that's, it's, I don't think the American people that have been born here really understand that. Having the ability to sit yeah. in your class and uh, speak with your students and have them share their stories, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't help but to feel so blessed mm-hmm. and so incredibly lucky to be born here. And
0: the weird thing is that when you said that in my class, they're all going, "Well, but we're blessed. We're, we're so incredibly lucky to be here." You don't know. Most, I have these two brothers from Rwanda. They grew up in refugee camps. Like, they moved around from country to country their whole lives. And they feel like now that they're here, they can do anything. They, they didn't get to finish high school because they were just, you know, they had to walk for hours to get to school, then they had to work and all this stuff. Now they can go to Durham Tech and they can finish, they can get their GED. One of them wants to be an engineer, and the other one wants to be a doctor. And they're going to do it. And that's the, you know? <laughs> that's the
1: and that's probably the greatest thing about their stories is that these these young men and women were born in refugee camps and then they're going to come here to America and they're going to be doctors, lawyers, engineers. They're going to be a part of the infrastructure and create and build better relationships with people that take a lot of this for granted. Yep. And it's it's so awe-inspiring to see those people it just makes me realize like like, whatever I'm doing I I can do it because from their point from the time they're in the refugee camp to the time they set foot on U.S. soil their life has been 200 times more challenging than mine's has ever been Yep. (laughs) so uh, it was a I, I can't tell you enough I thank you enough that about Having that opportunity to go in there and speak with your students and have them share their stories with me, uh, but that also brings me back to the point uh, when you had talked about the uh, the Burma family from the refugees and what your work at that time because this what that's what it all centers around. It feels like your entire story right now kind of centers around refugees. Yeah, and um, I w- tell me more about that Burma family as they uh, when they once they got over here to the state side and you got a little more better chance to understand them.
0: Well, I mean, they were just in a big wave of, of refugees, about probably three-quarters of my students at that time, that was about ten years ago, they were all from Burma, and um, I was in Ithaca, New York then, and Ithaca is a great place to come as a refugee. It's a sanctuary city, it has a really great support system, so every new family gets a sponsor family. That just volunteers to help them out. And they get one year of support from the government, so they have time to learn English um, and all that. Here, they only get three months. They just have to Here get, Carolina, yeah, they they have to get, get into months. their job immediately. I mean, you can't learn English in three months. So, you know, this family was well supported, and, and they had a sponsor family, so they were able to, to spend the time and learn English and, you know, and become really fully integrated into into community. I don't know. I have I've lost touch with them. Actually, I don't know what they're doing. Oh, no, that's that's fine. But, um, I was just you know
1: I was I was really curious about that. Um, I guess it it doesn't just have to be with them, but yeah. Um the 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 original interactions that you have with these people as they're your first learning about them. Um, t- tell me what that's like.
0: Well, you know when when a, when a new family comes in. Um, The program I worked at in Ithaca was rolling admissions, so I would have any new family that arrived last week, they would just immediately get into my class, and they, you could see this kind of glazed look on their face, like everything is different. Those refugees from Burma had never used money, they'd never ridden in a car, they'd never worn shoes, you know, and then they had just taken an airplane flight (laughs) for about 24 hours and someone picked them up in a car and put them in an apartment with a stove that they didn't know how to turn on. Hold on, and, hold,
1: on hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> you, but you told me that they had spent three months in the jungle, barefoot.
0: Yeah, nobody ever wears shoes. They, I mean, they, these people live up in the hills. They grew all their own food. They wove their own cloth to make their own clothes. They, they did everything themselves. They didn't. They never used money. They didn't know how to do that. You know, and so
1: (laughs) it's 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 impressive because there's still people doing that now somewhere where somewhere in America, not in America, excuse me, somewhere in the world. Yeah, they are still living that way. Yeah, and I am sitting here in a library (laughs) with a podcast and a mic, like, and, and, and I have the whole world at my fingertips. And meanwhile, they're living—not to say, not to downplay—but they're leaving, living simply. They're yes. living within their means, right? Nothing more.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were incredibly skilled and very smart. You know, and you know, like we, i remember we were at a picnic at one of the other teachers' houses, and one of them started making a bow and arrow for his son, just you know, just for fun. He'd, like, "Oh, t- I used to hunt with this. You can get really good boots and he. He took this little plastic cup and he carved it out for, like, the fleshing of the arrow. Because they just use whatever, you know? Right. So the plastic would help help it shoot faster, you know? And they know how to make dugout out canoes. It's like everything. They know, they know how to... But surviving here is a completely different skill. Yes. You know? I have the, I had this one family who told me the first night they came, they were dropped off in their apartment. And they didn't know how to turn on the stove and they didn't know how to turn off the lights. So they eventually figured out the stove, they turned it on, and they tried to cook rice, but it burned. And then the the fire alarm started going off, and they had no idea what that was. So they just sat in their bed all night with a knife, because they were frightened. And the fire alarm going off, all the lights on, because they didn't know what a light switch was. They just sat there with this knife all night long until the refugee resettlement people came the next day i'm like oh we just told you how to turn off the lights right and how to cook on the stove
1: oh my heart This <laughs> it's the thing that a, a three-year-old can do right. turning on and off the lights right and they're having a, yeah. the toughest but time but the thing with is that.
0: like once people have been here for five years they they can i'm mean, they're driving a minivan they're bringing their kids to school they're doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do they're paying their bills they're just like every other american no, it I, just ta- it, You know, it takes the, it takes a little while to get adjusted to being here. But once you're here, you're here, you just melt right in. No, you know? I,
1: I definitely, I, um, <laughs> I've noticed that um, even going to school and having all different types of race and ethnicities um, come through and we even, you know, foreign exchange students, things of that nature where uh, they're being taught the American way if you mm-hmm. will or the yeah. the idea of what the American dream may look like for them but when you have refugees that come in that like I said were barefoot in the jungle for three months and they get on a plane ride for the first <laughs> yeah. first time ever 24 yeah. hours in a plane yeah. with people that they've never seen or heard or, or of a language and it, now they're plopped right in the middle of everything and they're expected to kind of Right. Uh, they're, they're
0: expected to figure out what's a bill and what's junk mail, you know? Like
1: they're expected <laughs> to know how to turn on and off a light switch yeah. and to cook on a stove. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That is that is something that I think again I keep saying is that we we, we as Americans take for granted. Yeah. So cool. as we segue out of that, I was I always wanted I always like to ask people Like, what is the weirdest skill that you have that you didn't know that you had or you kind of learned along the way?
0: Well, my superpower is actually something I use all the time. I can understand anybody speaking English no matter how badly they're speaking it. Yeah. Or even if they can't speak it. How broken their English (laughs) is. How broken it is, yeah. Um, Maybe it's from growing up with my grandparents who didn't really speak English well, but they vowed never to speak German again, so they just spoke in English (laughs) to each other and everything. But, um yeah I so that helps me out in class a lot. and you know, on this next project that I'm working on, I'm, I'm doing refugee films now and uh, so you're and, jumping ahead of me. Yeah, that's I'm on sorry, my question sorry. list sorry. next,
1: but we'll we'll get there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um, yeah, everybody does have a superpower and uh, having worked where I worked. Previously, you get a lot of people that come in that don't speak English well, or it's their first few months in America and they know a little bit of English. So you start to develop an ear for where they're trying or how they're trying to say what they're trying to say. Yeah, uh, And I think it's always important to have people in, in those areas, like in, in communal areas, like uh, like libraries, um, like the DMV right. uh, places where you can have somebody that can understand yeah. these people because yeah. it's, it, because they want to uh, do their part right. as civilians too. Right. Yeah, and if you don't have a, a resource for them to speak or to to or outlet, just the patience or, to
0: let them try a few times and. You know, repeat what they're gonna say. Say it in a different way.
1: Or find another way of communicating, like you had said before, is uh, draw it out. Yeah. And that's, I think that's important. Yeah. So as I was saying to you about your next project, what's coming up? What's coming? Well,
0: I got a few things cooking. All right. (laughs) Um, right now I'm working with Kellen Smith, who also lives here in Hillsborough. He's a neighbor lives up the street okay and uh he's a professional filmmaker and um i met him a couple years ago and he maybe a year ago he'd been um trying since the 2016 elections he'd been trying to do a series of films about refugees um trying he'd gotten in touch with a few refugee resettlement agencies but nobody really wanted to talk to him um so he came over for dinner and uh I told him about this idea that I have for the long-term refugee film that I want to do. Um, and he told me about his idea of the shorts. And I said, well, I have access to refugees. I have been volunteering at CWS for about three years, the Church World Service. That's one of the refugee resettlement agencies here. Um, and I teach, too, so I've got those two avenues. So we decided to start on the shorts because... That five-year plan, I mean, that's a lot of time and mm-hmm. a lot of energy. And you have to find a family that's going to trust you from the very first day that they come in. So you're going to have to have a family that, that you know their relatives or whatever well. And they can say, this is, you know, this is someone I trust. Because if you're going to work with someone over those years, that's that's a lot, you know.
1: You so, guys essentially become friends and family right. after that.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So we thought, why don't we do a series of like, let's say, six shorts on refugees in the area here. Just kind of a day in the life where they're telling their story, telling what happened to them, why they had to flee, why they had to come, to, you know, how they eventually came to the United States and what their life is like here And just follow them around with the camera for one day. Because we didn't have any funding, so we thought, this is doable as a volunteer project. And it's also kind of important to get it out now. Yeah. Because I hear people being afraid of refugees. Like, before that election, nobody even thought about refugees, No, no. And then suddenly, like, Americans are afraid of them or think that they're bringing diseases or drugs or like all this stuff right let's
1: let's 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 not play into (laughs) those ideas because they're false
0: but but yeah so for me because i work with them all the time i'm like no yeah (laughs) you know and people need to hear the stories that i'm hearing in class they need to see who these people are
1: i completely agree so
0: that's where we're at right now we finished one short it's 11 minutes long it's called the chance to live it's about a family from columbia and um cws helped us find that family and then after we finished that one in the spring, um, I showed it in my class at the end of the semester and said, anybody want to do this? And six people said, yeah. <laughs> so, so right now we're doing these two lovely, lovely women from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and they both have really crazy stories. Like when you hear what happened to them, just no problem you have in your life can ever seem like a problem so, you know?
1: so give my listeners just a little snippet of what a little <coughs> one a little
0: one <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> just a little snippet well okay
0: so, so one of them um, she was pretty wealthy she had a big beautiful house and her husband was a businessman and her husband got kidnapped by rebels there's like I don't know there's a whole complicated civil war I don't understand the whole thing and um, he was gone she never saw him again and then the Rebels came and kidnapped her and her two teenage kids. Her daughter was 13 and her son was 15, I think. And they took them into the forest. They had this Rebel camp set up. And they kept them there for about a year. All right. Yeah. All right. That is
1: a good snippet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, oh, yeah, it's worse. But I'm, I'm yeah, I'll let you see, the, I, I, film. Let yeah, see yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely want um, everybody out there to go see this and check <laughs> it out. Um, I will have... Uh, the links in the description for all that in the, uh, in the bio f- for this episode um, before we get out of here um, what's your favorite movie, show, or book that kind of helps you? It helps me. Yeah, keeps the creative juices. Yeah.
0: I love Cavalier and Clay. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's so good. It's so good. It's one of my favorite books. I think I, That's kind of like my favorite book in the world. It's weird because I grew up without a TV. Mm. And um, my parents were hippies. Like real back to the landers. I grew up in a one-room log cabin. So <laughs> I never watched TV or movies. It's weird that I'm producing movies and I don't have time to watch TV. And I don't really... I mean, like, if I go to the movies, it'll be a kid's movie where I'm bringing my kids, you know? Um, But I do love to, like, go to documentary film festivals and stuff because I I love stories. I love people. So um, that's been nice for me, being on that circuit and going to some of those festivals and getting to see some really good, interesting alternative stuff, you know, small festivals.
1: That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So... Um, before we get out of here, what advice would you give somebody that is trying to do what you're doing or what what was, what was the one thing that you wish somebody told you at the beginning of this?
0: Oh, well, the advice would be just go for it. Just do it. Just do it. Don't worry about the fact that you don't have whatever training you think you need and all that. Um, what do I wish someone had told me? I don't know, James. I mean, I'm really enjoying learning as I go, you know. And like, that, that's, it's kind of fun for me to have a mystery. That's fine, too. That's that fine, too. I'm like, oh, wow, well, there's this. <laughs> Holy crap, I didn't think about that part, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff I could have learned, like, if I went to film school and things. But I was talking to my, my film crew for these refugee pro- pro- projects, Right now, because my son with the YouTube channel is thinking about going to film school, and they said, you don't need to go to film school to make film. In fact, it's better if you don't, because the people who go to film school just think they know everything. (laughs) Just go and, like, get coffee for a while. Just Just go, like, work on the set and do whatever they tell you to do, and you'll learn. And then you'll be better at it, so... (laughs) <laughs>
1: that's that's probably right. I I think I, it, I, I think that's probably a very safe way. I I, yeah. I think a lot of us learn better when we're just sitting there watching how the process yeah. works. Yeah. And you know, not speaking and not having an opportunity to have too much of an input. Right. But I. Uh, that's that's a. That's probably a very sound um, advice to give somebody. Yeah. Just, just go there
0: just and show do up. It. Just do it. Just show up. Just show up. Figure out where you want to work. Just go there and work. <laughs> just get them coffee.
1: <laughs> so, Grace, uh, uh, where can people find your your art or your creative nature? So,
0: um, the, this film on sewage is called What Comes Out Goes to the Government. And it's on my YouTube channel All right. right now. It's Grace Feeler. And then once I get the website up for the nonprofit, it'll be housed there. Um, I'll, it'll have its own YouTube channel and stuff. I'm still in the process of doing that. Um, the Chance to Live, which is the first refugee film, we have not released yet. Okay. Um, we're going to have our release party at our big fundraiser, which is happening on June 15th here. My neighbor is going to do the, the music festival again for us, and this time it's going to be a fundraiser for that. Um, and so then it's on Vimeo, but it's just a private link right now. I'm showing it at UNC next Thursday. Um, but then we'll after the release party we'll put it out because I think when you're sending stuff to film festivals, they don't want it to be out on YouTube and stuff. Gotcha you know um, gotcha. So gotcha, I'll have gotcha. to give you the link and stuff once it's released. Oh so yeah, like, definitely definitely gonna there and see, uh, uh, push
1: push it hard on my Facebook yeah, and my uh, yeah, and my Twitter yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, and eventually we want to write some common core curriculum so that people can use it in high schools, like teachers can use it wow. in high school so that these so like we're making them for a purpose, you know, and they yes. can actually go out and do their their job of educating people about who refugees are.
1: Well, Grace, yeah. I appreciate you sitting down with me, taking the time and sharing your story and sharing your your creative nature and the thing that you like to do the best and the most. Yeah. I, I really I, thank you, thank you, thank you
0: been a real pleasure to be here, James. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're both doing the same thing, right? We're both collecting stories. It's, we are collecting you know, stories,
1: and uh, I I'm always in awe of people's stories because uh, people come so far and done so much, and they downplay it, and they yeah. don't they don't take it as serious, and that people can learn something from that. So yeah, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd like to thank Grace for coming by and uh, being. On my show and uh, Bringing her unique Energy to the show and her unique Life Journey to the show because As Grace Reiterates that we are Collecting stories You're collecting stories as well You're collecting stories of people's Amazing journeys and amazing Direction in life And you watch somebody Grow you watch somebody be Inspired you watch somebody become something that they never thought they could possibly be. And when you see that and you understand that, you start to believe that you yourself are not another brick in the wall, that you yourself have another way of seeing how life presents itself to make you and your experiences all that much more lively people don't understand sometimes how lucky we are, how fortunate we have been to take the journeys that we have taken to end up where we are currently right now in our worlds and in people's lives to have something as so simple and so trivial as, well not trivial but so simple as just having running water, having proper sewage and not having to foot through the jungle for 3 months just to seek a refugee camp to start a better life. I have been given an amazing opportunity to bring forth some of these messages, some bring forth some of these ideas to show you guys that how how much you have at your disposal. How ready you already are to take on some of these dreams and these aspirations that you that you think you're not ready for or think that you're not worthy of so i hope that you guys are able to take a a good piece of this show and apply it to what it is that you guys want to see in your lives so i hope that this was a great opportunity for you guys to listen in gracie thank you again Hey guys, thanks for stopping by again today and press and play with me. I really appreciate you. I really have a great value for every one of your likes, every one of your downloads, every one of your subscriptions, every one of your retweets. I appreciate all of that. So make sure that you guys are on my Facebook being active. That's Focus For You, the podcast, and on my Twitter page at Focus underscore for you. So get out there. I want to hear from you. Let's keep doing this. Until next time, focus for you.